Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, where we sit down with opera professionals to talk about how the industry really works. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Today, we're talking with Leanne Misleski, the vice president of Wolf Trap Opera, about young artist programs and their auditions. If you're auditioning for Yaps, start taking notes. Well, let's dive right in here. Uh, thanks so much for being on this episode of the Opera Biz Podcast. Sure. For the listeners out there who are unfamiliar with who you are and what you do, can you give us a brief overview about that info and maybe a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Sure. So I currently am the Vice President for Opera and Classical Programming for the Wolf Trap Foundation, which is in a suburb uh, close to D.C. in Virginia. Um, <clears throat> 90% of what I do is involves Wolf Trap Opera, which is a training company for young artists, has been around, uh, this year's our 50th anniversary, which is 50? very cool. Nice. 50, yeah. Um, I also work with the National Symphony on their residency with us in the summers, and we book a chamber music series at the Barnes, um, which is our smaller of two venues. The Barnes is like a 400 seat venue, and the Feline Center is a 7,000 seat outdoor amphitheater. So. It's a fun place to program for, and it's fun to be in an organization that is not just classical music, but kind of ranges across all different types of music. Um, I'm the first musician in my family. Uh, my folks had a great appreciation for it, and we had records. Uh, Pat Benatar, right next to Pavarotti, next to Earth, Wind, and Fire, <laughs> next to Tex Ritter and Willie Nelson, and um, it was an eclectic mix. So it was just, you know, we listened to everything. Um, when I decided I wanted to go to school for music, my folks pr made me promise that I would get a teaching degree if I was going to do a performance degree because, you know, they were both teachers. So like there are only two paths in my world. You could either be a singer, a performer, big star, or you could be a teacher. And my folks were like, so let's, let's give her a little bit of security. And I'm, <laughs> I, I resisted at the time, but I'm really glad they did. I actually did end up, um, after graduating teaching for a number of years and then 9-11 uh, happened and everybody was re-examining kind of what they wanted to do. I went back to school. I thought maybe I hadn't given performing enough of a shot. Um, and I went to the University of Maryland uh, to study with Leon Major and Dolores Ziegler and uh, learned in that process that, boy, I loved rehearsal. I loved rehearsal. I loved the beginning of rehearsal when we were all figuring out what to do and it was messy and no one quite knew what was going on and we were just trying to make something together. Uh, I didn't like the performances as much. They mm -hmm. were anticlimactic in some ways uh, between the pressure and between the, the fact that we had finally come to something together and the discovery sometimes felt a little, and of course I was a student, so um, I think the professionals probably feel quite differently about this, but that kind of discovery was a little uh, lost there. So it became pretty obvious. And I was recently married. So the whole being on the road for months away from this guy that I really kind of liked um, <laughs> was not as attractive as it might've been <laughs> a while before. So uh, Leon was great about helping me figure out what my next steps might be. He he helped me do some uh, directing here in the DC area. Um, and he actually first introduced me to Wolf Trap when he directed Volpone, which was the first commission by Mark Campbell and yeah. John Musto. Um, and that was a real eye opener for me being able to help support an artistic vision without having to spend the time in the practice room or to be on stage was, um, was just life changing. It was really eye opening. So um, I got introduced to the company then and then 
very nicely harassed the ladies who worked here until I could find a way back in. <laughs> we had a lot of coffee dates where I just wanted to check in over the over the <laughs> intervening years, and um, and somehow I ended. Don't up forget back. about me. I'm still here. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys doing? Can I bring you coffee? What are you doing? Tell me what's going on. It was a it was a really exciting thing to join the staff in 2006, and I've been here since. So, what was the first position you had there? Uh, coordinator of artistic mm. administration. Yeah. So really budgets and contracts and spreadsheets and travel itineraries and the, f the fun parts, right? All of that. I know. I still kind of know how to do those every <laughs> once in a while. It's really fun to be like, oh, something that I don't that I know how to do. Um, although the processes have changed enough that like, actually I might think that, but I might get into it and be like, oh, I don't actually know how to do this at all anymore. So but the, it's a, a fun thing that to think about <laughs> the plus side is from your position though you you know what it takes to do those jobs so you can you can be realistic with your staff it, yeah. it's always weird to me when somebody ends up in arts administration that either didn't work their way through the company um or they come from just a radically different perspective and mm -hmm. they're thrown in at a higher tier position in an mm -hmm. arts organization and then everything clashes and right. Just make it happen. How would you really need to make it happen? There are, <laughs> right. there are like 17 steps to make it happen. You, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Especially with the fact that our, in, in the United States, the arts administration jobs are often done by performers or people who don't have an education in business or in what they end up doing in an arts organization. And you learn about it on the fly and just like learn so, by doing. So many of us. I was on a call last weekend with, um, Catherine Smith and Michael Eagle and uh, Ashley Magnus. So Catherine from Madison, uh, Michael Eagle from Des Moines and uh, Ashley from Chicago Opera Theater. And we were all like, I think we have like a business minor between the four of us. Definitely. And the rest of us are all, you know, came to it from performing. And there is a learning curve, but, and I, I will say it is a significant learning curve, right? There, there are so many things because to learn about when you're producing like it's a, mm -hmm. it's not the same as a as a finance job right like there are so many kind of eggs that you're juggling in this basket to make something happen and with all of these people and all of the um they're just a lot it's a multifaceted kind of job so learning on the job how to do it i think is a way to make sure that you've got all of those boxes checked oh yeah know? absolutely um, i totally agree with that yeah. uh especially especially in an organization that is like with yours is both training and performance mm -hmm. so it's it would be different if it was strictly a performing company and you you know you hire people in they've got a yeah. gig you produce it they walk away but um or if it was just a training program but you're balancing both and which means your workflow at wto is going to be very different from other people's workflow also yeah. the time of year you know you're you're summer based you're not rolling year round for this specific perspective and yeah yeah yep. yeah it's a double-edged sword i think that learning on the job is um is honestly invaluable if if you learn the right way <laughs> or if you're in yeah. an organization that has the ability to actually train you on how to do it as opposed mm -hmm. to we don't know how this works good luck <laughs> good luck have a, have a great time yeah i will say too one of the things that is a huge benefit to being situated in as the the only producing arm of this larger foundation that does a lot of presenting and a lot of early childhood education is that we have uh, 
access to, to peers who are so knowledgeable and so committed to best practice and so committed to audience experience and artist experience that, um, and they're great team players too. Like we, there are so many musicians on staff and artists here as well who are in all the different departments. So it's wonderful to be able to have a kind of question or a, a, a trying to find a solution to something and have such a deep knowledge base of people who not just know how we do it, but have great contacts in the in the field to be able to say, well, let's see how this other organization does it. Um, it's a great, I, I've, it's been wonderful to have that kind of information sharing to really try to make the best choices for our people, especially now during COVID times when we're all trying to figure out how to move forward, having that yeah. kind of information sharing and people being really generous with each other has been really so helpful. And it, it it drives home the concept that I work on with, with my clients on a regular basis, and that is no matter what the field is, I am I will always push for collaboration over competition anytime. Because if if you guys all felt like you were competing with each other, those conversations wouldn't happen. Those that support just wouldn't be it wouldn't be a community, it would be us versus them. But with the collaborative mindset, you know, you're willing to help an organization that may also be trying to cast the same people you want to cast and that's that's not what it's about it's about it's, it's about creating the art the right way and right. supporting the community which is and fantastic here's, and here's the thing like we we all make better art when we lead with generosity right when we mm. when we collaborate when we lead with generosity and the art suffers when the situations don't allow us to and i you know in some ways this whole covidian thing has made us all a little um stingy because our resources are so our time like everything is harder right yeah. um but i would say it's probably more of a call to really look at how we can help each other mm -hmm. and how we can help the artists who are so affected by this i mean i think there's a real concern that we're going to lose really important voices because they just are not able to keep going and to be honest as a singer who who decided not to to pursue singing after a certain point, like I get it. Yeah. I get that there are other things that will take that attention away. I am not saying that I am like one of those people that the world is gonna miss their singing career for, but I am saying that like, there are so many voices that, and perspectives, like individual perspectives that we are going to lose if we can't find a way to find opportunities to bring people together to, to be in front of each other and make this music again. Yeah. Um, and the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we're not trying to like say that these are all mine and this right. is how I do it. Like we have to work across those boundaries for sure. Absolutely. How how was that um, that transition to a digital space? Um, mm -hmm. How did that feel from within? Yeah, I mean, it felt like we were completely underprepared, and it felt like we did not give it anywhere near as much time as we needed to, quite frankly. And yeah. I will commend. Um, Crystal Manage and David Paul, who are our directors for those projects that we did on site, because they, looking back on it and looking back on how much rehearsal time they had and how much time we had to process video and all of that, like, I actually am not sure how we got it done. <laughs> like, <laughs> the fact that it happened and it happened beautifully and it happened within the time frames that we set, I'm like, like that was kind of crazy pants. Um, so we learned a lot from it, I'll be honest. Um, and some of the things I think we learned is that we could go in that direction, but the thing that we all missed so much were the other people. Yeah. The audience was just having that that communal experience. Um, in some ways, it um, 
like it was wonderful to do and to be able to experiment, but it also was a very bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I mean, opera specifically is, and this is a conversation I've had repeatedly for the last year is that it, it's a, it exists in a live place. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that, um, it's a thing and we can either do it live or do it vi digital or, you know, it's mm -hmm. a, it inherently is a live art form. And so everything else just feels like uh, a Band-Aid, um, just trying to just maintain it until it can go back to that live space. Um, do you foresee any of the changes that you made over the last year um, being long lasting? Um, what What's gonna be significantly changed moving forward as yeah. as people vaccinate and we can get back into the live space? The things that I think we will take forward um, one of the things that was really successful for us last year was uh, a virtual audition day. Mm -hmm. And we did uh, uh, two days of colleague auditions um, that at first I was like, no one's going to come to this. You know, usually in the usual year when people are coming to see shows, we get maybe, I don't know, six to 12 people who come for auditions on one mm -hmm. or two days during the summer for to see our singers and to be able to kind of hear them in the space. I think last year, just because of timing and the way it all played out, I, we decided to do uh, an online auditions with our colleagues. We did do it live streamed um, and then also provided afterwards, excuse me, some uh, mastered audio tracks so they could actually hear what it sounded like in the space, depending nice. on what the, uh, you know, what the, the headphone situation was. I, it was really important to be able to have those young artists be um, sorry, it was really important for those young artists to be able to be heard in real time and in the way that, but also to have that clarity of the actual voice, because if this is the one thing that was showing their momentum over the last year, it just had to be good. It had to yeah. be compelling, right? Yeah. Um, we ended up with over 80 people for each of those days that we did last year, tuning in from all over the US and Europe. Um, so the reach of that was so great that it is something that I think I'll continue. Yeah. Um, I also jumped on to one of those audition days mm -hmm. um, to see what the final result was like. And I was impressed, not just with um, the the tech and the flow on your end, but the response in general um, and the way that it was dialogued. I, I, I want to say on site, but in the in the chat space mm -hmm. on YouTube where you guys did the live stream. Mm -hmm. um, I was I wasn't sure what the response was gonna be like for the people that were listening mm -hmm. and how um, gung ho they were gonna be about this massive shift. But it was so smooth and worked so well that it seems like a no brainer to push at least first round auditions into a digital mm -hmm. space. And mm -hmm. it's funny because I've been working on this with a couple of my colleagues for the last three years. And we couldn't get the traction because everybody wants to hear everything live. And I understand why you want to hear singers live. But there are things you can tell, at least for that first round in a recording right off the bat. This is a voice I'm interested in. This is not a voice I'm interested in now, but I might be interested in later. Like yeah. pros can tell that in the first 10 seconds, even in a live stream. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really pleased to hear that you're going to move forward with some of that aspect of things because I feel like it just makes so many things more efficient. 
uh-huh. more efficient and more accessible if, yeah. you know, just to be able to hear everybody from one spot is going to reduce some of this, uh, some of this gatekeeping as far as being able to get to New York or be able to get to mm-hmm. all of these places. It's going to take that cost differential. And as, as a kid who like could never have gone to, you know, a, a, a performing arts program abroad or anything like that, because like, like I said, my, uh, my folks were both teachers. We just didn't have that kind of cash laying around yeah. to like send me to Europe for a summer. Um, so as someone who's always kind of thinking about ways that we might be able to make it more cost-effective or to be able to make it less of an impact for those talents that don't have the kind of deep pockets, I think it's a great equalizer. The amount of money that I spent, and I, I grew up in Western New York, I grew up in Rochester. So it's like a five hour drive or an hour long flight. And I still spent so much money going to New York City to do auditions that either I wasn't right for, I didn't have the connections for, the chances of me getting the gig were epically low, um, just all that kind of stuff. And had I not had to put that capital forward, um, I would have been able to spend it on professional development, on so many other things, as opposed to throwing down four to $800 every time you want to go audition. Yeah. Yeah. And God forbid you can't line those auditions up in a row. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and we are one of the worst outliers because of the way we cast. So we have to hear everybody before we make a decision as far as the rep is. So I'm not going out looking for a Giovanni or going out looking for a specific role. So there's no way for you to gauge whether or not it's going to be a productive audition if you sing for Wolf Trap, because I don't even know what I'm doing. You can't audition for something specifically because who knows what Wolf Trap's going to do next summer. Yeah. Um, so I recognize too that that's a little, um, it's hard for folks to kind of wrap their head around how to best strategize for us. And we also yeah. go out fairly early most years just because of that dichotomy like if if I've got a singer who's got an offer from me and from Glimmerglass or Santa Fe and they decide to take that other that gig with somebody else if I've got a production that I want them to helm that production goes away and I've got to start from scratch with all the repertoire all over again so um it is a it is a delicate dance and especially with my my colleagues in the industry are very understanding about the fact that um that we can't play nicely in that audition with them, but I'm glad that they're, I'm glad that we're all friends and I'm glad that they understand because, um, because it, it does make things a little weird for, for singers to try to figure out whether or not they should be singing for us and yeah. when, because there's not that concrete, oh, they've got this many mezzo spots. I've got this kind of a chance for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, with that in mind, um, because so many other people are listening to singers, unless they're management, they're listening to singers based on a casting uh, a program. Um, because that's not the way that you listen to singers, what do you listen to, what do you listen for in your auditions? Because I feel like it would be a little bit different than if you were casting something really specific. Yeah, it is. Um, so I think the, uh, how to answer this question the best, um, I think the first thing that we always kind of listen for are those compulsory, like tone quality, intonation, like all of the things that are, you know, deal breakers, right? Um, the baseline, yeah. The baseline, you know, the compulsories. Um, and then it's whether that person excites us in some way. Like, I'll be honest, for the for the Feline artists, the top, top tier, 
most of those folks we've been watching for years. You know, we get to know them when they are coming out of conservatory, when they sing for the studio program, or when they win a competition, or when we judge them in a competition. We keep a pretty extensive database, like everybody does, of all the people that we hear and kind of what they sing and, and when and how. Um, so some of it, if if we've been watching them is to see what kind of growth we see from year to year to kind mm -hmm. of measure that to see like what they've been working on how the voice is changing what direction they feel like they're going in. Um, so we're we're kind of tracking that but in the room. I think it's the same as everybody except without that it's a little more open i'm not looking for a, a Giovanni but I am looking for someone to kind of come in and blow me away in some mm -hmm. way like. And then if they do, then that puts them on the list for like, oh, could we use them in something? Mm -hmm. So it's one of the reasons that we've been able to um, do some weird rep to really focus on some amazing artists that have come through to be able to say, this is a perfect thing for you. We really want you to come to sing this. Yeah. Um, it allows us that flexibility because you're not trying to put a a square peg in a round hole, right? To say yeah. we're doing a Giovanni and you'd be great for something else, but we really want to bring you. So would you, you know, it, yeah. but there has to be some, it has to be the compulsories. There has to be the, the kind of excitement in the room. And there has to, I have to be able to get to know a little bit about who you are as an artist when you walk in the room. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the thing it's only, you know, it's 10 minutes that I get to spend with you and I'm going to hang a, a if, if I hire you, I'm going to bring you and house you and costume you and give you an opportunity that I hope is going to make people like remember who you are, like write, you know, reviews in the paper and, and talk from colleagues about, oh, I remember when I saw this person sing this role at Wolf Trap. Um, so there's, if it is perfect and sterile and everything your coach has always told you to do, but I don't know who you are. It's harder for me to take a risk on that. And it, the voice might be beautiful and the, you know, I mean, you could be doing everything right, but there does still have to be a vulnerability. And I think for me, I'm almost always drawn to the people who are not, who are brave enough to be vulnerable in, mm. a, in this, the weirdest of all job interviews, I swear. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I mean, I like, I think that's why it's always so impressive because if you can dial up that vulnerability and show me by the way you walk in the room, by the little banter that we have, by the way you present yourself in those areas, there's almost always a moment where I'm like, oh yeah, this could be, this person could be really fun or this person could, could do something great at Wolf Trap. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the, like I said, the Felines we kind of have been tracking for a number of years. The studio is always like uh, Christmas because you don't have any idea who these people are and they walk right. in and they open their mouths and you're like, holy cow, that's amazing. Um, and that's always fun because we don't have quite as much um, knowledge of them. So it really does, it's really like opening a present and not knowing what's inside. Yeah. Uh, the Felines are, it's a little little bit more mercenary just because we've been tracking them, right? Yeah, but whereas the studio is a little more legit first impression. First impression, like, yeah. wow, that is, that is something. And you know, of course, because the studio is is um, a little bit younger, there are going to be technical issues. There are going to be yeah. things that they're working on, right? Um, do you um, do you have preferences when it comes to um, rep with people, particular people that you're hearing for the very, very first time? Like, do you like to hear stuff that you know really well, or do you like it when they bring weird stuff to the table? Mm -hmm. 
I'm of two minds on this. Um, as an educator and as a um, like as someone who is listening to hire, I want to hear stuff that I've heard before. And I know yeah. it's boring. And I know nobody wants to sing Mozart anymore, although that makes me a little sad. Um, well, because good Mozart is fantastic. As hard as you know what? Yeah, yeah. Hard AF. Um, so if you make it sound easy, like. That tells me a lot. Gold star. Especially if um, you're a tenor. <laughs> oh my God, right? For real, guys. He was not <laughs> nice to them. Um, but uh, I I love new music. It's kind of oh, my entry into the field was doing premieres and first runs of things. So I, I love new work and I love seeing something that I don't know. Uh, that I on a list like oh I don't know this piece and I will almost always ask about it um what I'm asking is you know I'll say tell me about the piece what I'm not actually looking for is the context in the opera because mm -hmm. that's that I can I, I will wiki that if it's if it's a cool piece but I'm looking for tempo language form is it ABA is it through composed is there a you know are you going to like put some fireworks at the end because if I'm asking for it in the context of the list I want to make sure that what I'm asking for is going to help me answer some questions that I have about the voice that I'm hearing right yeah. so that first aria you get to pick because you get to show me what your best shot is and the other things on your list are hopefully going to enrich my view of what you're singing yeah I'm also going to look to see if there's something that that I'm nervous about in that first aria that I can either corroborate or rule it out with the second aria. So yeah. um, if the contemporary piece will do that for me, I will always take the contemporary piece. If the contemporary piece won't do it for me, I will, I've got to go, I will go with Mozart a hundred percent of the time. Like yeah. I think we did a, <laughs> I think Morgan did a, a meme with, that just said those six little words. Can we hear the Mozart please? Give me <laughs> guilty is charged but you know and there is something um to be said about you know when you're hearing four to six hundred auditions in the course of an audition tour being able to take it back to those basics even if um even if they're not your your favorite thing to sing for us to hear you along with other people singing that same rep yeah. Um, you don't have to sing it the same way. That's not what we're asking for. But to be able to know, um, to be able to have those kind of concrete markers as far as what the voice does well and what the voice struggles with is definitely. It's just a diagnostic tool. It's not a yeah. value judgment as much as a diagnostic tool. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about um, when I used to audition. I, the, the first role I ever sang was the Count in Figaro, yeah. and. Um, so I would bring that aria a lot because I can be like, no, not only can I sing the aria, but I've played the role. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I didn't, I always hated starting with it because I knew that if I started with that, then they would never ask for anything else. Cause the, if you sing that whole thing, not only is it long, but it shows you almost everything you need to hear. Right. Yeah. And so I would try and start with something else, particularly in something that was not Italian. And inevitably the result was great. Now, can we hear Ajavita La Causa? the recit and then from the triplets to the end <laughs> because That's like you mean. said it's a diagnostic tool they'd be like okay yeah. we can now judge recit based on the first three pages <laughs> and oh. then we know if his voice moves fast enough to do the triplets and if the f sharp is there and then we can just end it <laughs> oh my gosh that's mean though i i have a i love i used to hearing... get that so often 
I love hearing the, the full piece. I want to hear two full pieces from the Fellines. I want to hear at least one piece and then the the monologue. The studio artists have to do a monologue. I love the fact you do monologues. Yeah. It scares yeah. the hell out of most opera singers. But I love yeah, it. Well, of course. You know, and so I the reason that we do it, um, and again, I can't, I went to a theater school too. I went to Carnegie Mellon for my undergrad. So like, yeah. like the monologue was the thing that you had to do, right? Um, the... The thing that it shows, so as a grad student, as a, a undergrad or a grad student, oftentimes you're singing rep that you are right on the cusp of being able to really embody, mm-hmm. but you're not quite there. So you're still thinking about technical things or you're still, you've got like the big washes of emotion down, but you don't have that kind of specificity of dramatic action that you might need or that we might be looking for, say, from a from a singer who is a number of years older and has had some big house experience or has had those kind of principal role um, moments. So the monologue allows us to see who you are. And again, we're trying to figure out who you are so that we can like figure out if we're a good fit together. Yeah. So that choice, like the choice of the monologue, like what you pick, one of my favorites, and, and he knows this, Ben Edquist, the baritone for his first studio audition, did a dramatic reading of Beyonce's single ladies put a nice. ring nice and I'm cracking up a little just thinking about it because it was like it was so great it was so great um and the fact that I mean it's been years since he's been a studio artist he would be able to tell you the the year but I mean and he was a fleeing artist after that you know what I mean like he's um he's had a great he's in the middle of a great career I think COVID notwithstanding yeah but the fact that that first of all that he picked a song and that he delivered it so well, like has stayed with us for forever. Um, There have been people who have done songs stuff with, with different um, like different song lyrics, people who have done things from the West wing or from um, uh, contemporary TV shows or movies. Like it doesn't like, we're not looking for Shakespeare. We're looking for like one minute, something you really relate to. So the subject that you pick is always going to be interesting to us. Like we had some Schitt's Creek, you know, I mean, like there's all kinds of things that you can do. Find something you love. It's a minute long. And if you biff on the words, like we're not sitting there with the side, like making sure that you hit all the things. We just want to see who you are. We just want to like get that bead on your personality and whether you have that kind of intellectual curiosity and whether you're brave enough to like really deliver yeah um yeah it's probably not going anywhere anytime soon sadly <laughs> sorry <Nice>. guys <laughs> you you, me- you mentioned that you've heard upwards of over ten thousand singers yeah. 10 i should say ten thousand auditions yeah, 10, over the course of mics. your career which means yeah. you are uniquely qualified to answer the following question <laughs> which is what are what are some of the trends that have come and gone, um, particularly ones that you're really glad to see leave? Um, yeah, <laughs> what they've been replaced by? <laughs> um, boy, it's a great question. Uh, so you know there are always kind of cycles in repertoire, like what is hot and what is not. Um, as far you know whether. Like there was a period where Satsvela was really in. There was a time where Operetta was really in. Um, there was one year where we had almost no Mozart, which I was like, oh, I'm going to die a little bit inside. But, you know, okay. Um, so that's always interesting to me. Like if you are, like I think the, uh, the bell song is coming back for super high sopranos, yep. which is great. Um, the new music that's coming out, uh, you know, hearing 
a lot of stuff that is that has been written in the last 10, 15 years is always interesting to me. Um, and it's not something that um, we, when we first started, we weren't hearing a lot of contemporary music on the mm -hmm. audition tour. So having that um, and hearing stuff that I've never, like I haven't even had a chance to see yet in the theater is always kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, I think there is a, there's a shift as far as presentation about the way people come into auditions and what they're wearing and all of that, which I think is actually great. I think there's, there's much less, it's much less formal than it was. It used to be that you really dressed for that audition as if you were dressing to do an interview at the bank, right? I mean, you were, um, there was a certain kind of standard uniform for ladies. It was a dress that was kind of either knee length or longer, closed-toed shoes, jewel tone. For the guys, it was a suit. It was, you know, crazy if it was no tie or tie, you know? Um, and this year, the, one of the things, or this year, last year, um, there's a lot more freedom about what people are bringing into the, the room and being able to see, again, you know, we're trying to figure out who you are as a person and like how we would fit, being able to really see people reflect their personality and what they bring into the, what they wear into the room has been great. Um, and I have so many notes that I'm like, oh my God, cute shoes. Oh my God, beautiful captain. Oh my God, I love that brooch. You know, like there's, but it's so wonderful to see the people for whom their personal style or like that, that is a big part of who they are to see them actually bring it into the room. I just love yeah. it. Like, yeah. and I'll be honest, like if we're going to hire you to do a fully staged role, we're going to put you in a costume, we're gonna right. put you in a wig, like, yeah. you know, so I'd rather kind of have an idea of what, what you want to wear, like who you are. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been innumerable conversations about, you know, heel height for ladies, you know, can you sing in flats? Should you wear open-toed shoes? Um, and I feel like most of, uh, maybe not all of them, but I, you know, there are similar criticisms for guys as far as vests, as far as jacket, no jacket, as far right. as, you know, what they decide to wear. Um, but I do, I mean, clothes are a kind of armor, right? They, yeah. they protect us. They make us feel stronger and braver. And so whatever you wear into that audition should help you and not work against you. I think that's the thing. Like the things that I've seen work against people is if they are dressed too formally or if they have like scarves and things that take on a life of their own because they mm -hmm. always do, you know, like you've got this beautiful scarf and you get nervous and there's the air conditioner thing is blowing right at you. And all of a sudden it's trying to strangle you or it gets caught in your rings or something and you have to break character. Like there's any number of things like that that can happen and go wrong. But, um, but if you if you feel good, if you feel like you look good, you feel good, you sing better. Right. Yeah. You just like, it's, it's basic human psychology. I, I usually say, uh, I like to use the expression, if it looks professional, but you feel like you can conquer the world, like that's, it, it, it does psychologically add so much to you feeling prepared for the audition or, um, or feeling like you should be there because I know that imposter syndrome is a real thing when you're a performer. Um, and some people just psych themselves out when they've got the goods, they got the audition, they did what it takes to be there. And then they psych themselves out. If you can, help that in any way right I mean because that's the most tragic thing you know and from sitting behind the table when you can see that um the performer that you're watching has kind of mentally like gone off into left field or are still thinking about the thing that happened like three measures ago or um 
is just not in their body in a specific way. Yep. Like that's, I mean, I almost, I know we can't do this, but I almost wish that we could just sing barefoot because I think everybody sings better barefoot because you're grounded, even though I love the look of heels, but like, you know, there's a part of me that wants to be like, okay, so we're all going to pretend to be Carmen and we're going to take off our shoes and sing the aria. But I think I'm probably not quite, um, <laughs> I probably am not quite uh, uh, permissive enough to like ask people to do that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do think that there's something to be said about just taking ownership of the space and of your body and being realizing that the people on the other side of the table are there to hear the gifts that you bring specifically. Like I'm not looking to hear somebody's interpretation a la Pavarotti when they walk in, like, I want to hear what you do. He's He's not with us anymore. We've got recordings. We can spend time with those, but that's not what we're here in the room for. Yeah. I want to hear what you have. Whatever you can do to take away the barriers to just have a good time and sing is, yeah. is going to be better for both of us. Right? You mentioned in our prep that you have seen many auditions where either something ludicrous happened, something crazy, and <laughs> but it was, it didn't hurt the audition or it was able to be yeah. salvaged in some yes. way. Yes. I mean, so I think that's the other thing. Like when things start to go off the rails, like, you, like it doesn't mean that they have to go off the rails into the toilet. Like, I mean, they can, you can turn them around. One of my favorite, um, this is not an audition story, but for some inspiration, if you listen to Ella Fitzgerald recording of Mac the Knife from Berlin, mm -hmm. she starts the tune. It was a popular, um, a popular tune at the time. She starts singing it. And they start modulating every verse up. So it's getting really high. She forgets the words and she improvises like, and she's calling herself out. Like we tried to do Mac the knife. She's something about cash. You know, I mean, it's hysterical, but she sings the whole thing. She doesn't stop the band. <laughs> they modulate 17 bajillion times until she's singing like way up, but she just keeps going. And I think that's such a great instruction to be in the moment and just be like, I don't know what's going to happen next. We're just going to go with it is a, a skill that is hard to, hard to get, but is so valuable that kind yeah. of, you know, looking forward. So I have two great um, short stories. One is I was actually just on a call with him yesterday and he brought it up. So I'm going to feel free to bring it up again. Um, <laughs> We were in Chicago, uh, Kim Whitman and I listening to auditions and we had uh, a young baritone by the name of Will Liverman who was scheduled for an audition. And we had a call that he's running late, he can't find us. And it's almost time for his audition. And this young man bursts through the door and he's like, I'm ready. And we were like, okay, we're on like the third or fourth floor of a building and it looked like maybe he had just run up all those stairs. Uh -huh. We're like, do you need a minute? He's like, no, I'm okay, go. What are you gonna sing? I'm gonna sing Largo from um, Figaro. <laughs> okay. It's still one of the fastest Largos I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, and he nailed it. Like, I mean, it was great. So much adrenaline, but it was so fast. And I just remember being like, who is this guy? Like. <laughs> busy it was crazy the other one and this is also another person that we um we hired although she's not singing anymore um for the studio years ago I think it was maybe the first year of the studio and she'll know if she hears this who I'm talking about um <laughs> she she came into the room uh and she wanted to sing Kunigunda <clears throat> and one of the coaches on the table at that point loved that loved Candide was like oh I love that song and had a little reaction to it that was really positive but you could tell she hadn't planned on 
someone having that kind of reaction. So it caught her off guard a little bit. And she started off and she started to go up on the words like glitter and be gay. That's the part I play. La, 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 la. Paris, France, forced to bend my soul to a sordid role, circumcised by bitter, bitter circumstance, to which everyone goes, did she? (laughs) And everyone is in like kinds of stage, like, and of, of trying to figure out what's going on. I'm making eye contact with her, like, keep going, keep, I'm right here with you. Everyone is, is trying to hold their stuff together. She sings the rest of the song awesomely, does not miss a beat, gets all the all the syncopations like in tune, like ends it, hot damn, leaves the room. We all fall out, of course, because we've been <laughs> holding it in for what, like six minutes? And the poor next person comes in and sees like, I swear the pianist was on the floor, like just like we were all just losing it. And we were like, we're gonna need a minute. Um, <laughs> but I mean, even with that, even though I'm sure she could tell that something had happened and she wasn't sure what it was, mm-hmm. but she kept going. There she you go. kept going. She like, I mean, really kind of threw herself into the piece. Um, and we definitely made her an offer that she accepted because like, if you can, if you can recover from that and just kind of move on from it, like that was impressive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't have to be like, if it goes off the rails, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And there is always something to be said about saying, can I start that again? And taking, yeah. not just doing that, but can I start that again? And then taking the 30 seconds to clear your head instead of just jumping right in and then doing it again the same way, like ask to start again, take a couple deep breaths and then start up when you're really ready to give it that second shot. I feel like a lot of young artists don't realize that that they can take that kind of control of an audition. Yeah. Uh, they feel like they have to come in do what they prepared to do, crank it out, and then hope for the best. As opposed to settling into the space. I, one of my favorite stories to tell, my undergrad audition. So I went to undergrad. I started as a piano major. Um, but I had been taking lessons with one of the adjunct voice faculty at my undergrad. And so I was like, well, I would love more scholarship. So I'm going to you know, do a singing audition as well. This is clearly before I uh, switched my major to vocal performance. Um, and so I, I, to this, the funny part is I can't remember what I was singing. I don't remember what I auditioned with. Mm-hmm. Um, cause this would have been 98. <laughs> um, but I do remember that it was six pages long because the pianist, I knew the pianist and they asked me to send them the, uh, a, like a PDF so they could print it out at home and then they were going to put it together in the binder themselves. It's like awesome. When the pianist when the pianist has specific requests, I try and grant those requests. Yep. Yep. And I did and she did not put them in the binder nor were they hole punched. So she just put them up on the music desk and something happened oh, on like no. the third page and they all came cascading off of the piano. <laughs> and based on where I was, I was not paying attention to her. Um, and I was, you know, I was really in the moment and I realized that out of the corner of my eye, I see that she's leaning over the bench, trying to play the music from the floor. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. At which her. point I just, I, I honestly, I, I broke yeah. it and I laughed yeah. and I was like, hang on just a sec. Why don't we yeah. regroup? 
and I helped her pick up the music and put it back. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it's totally fine. It's not the end of the world. It is what yep. it is. Yep. And I was like, why don't we start from here? Mm-hmm. We'll take a sec. Yeah. And we started from there and went through and the audition panel thought it was hilarious because we yeah. had like, we allowed ourselves to laugh at it and yeah. laugh at ourselves. And I got scholarships. Like I clearly got in, I got scholarships. <laughs> it was fine. But like, that's one of those things that I thought I was going to be scared to death of having happen. And then mm-hmm. once it happened, I was just like, ah, it's fine. Right. right? <laughs> you know, I think it is. I, we try to be a really um, welcoming audition panel because we like I, we get the fact that it's hard to put yourself out there. There's, a, you know, finding a new space, singing in a new room, maybe with a new pianist. There's a lot of unknowns. But being able to remember that we actually we're humans on the other side of the table, too. And sometimes yeah. like we'll talk to people when they come in just to kind of see how they're doing or, or what's going on. Um, I know some people don't like that. There are some audition panels who just want you to come in and sing and leave. But again, it's, I, I feel like a broken record, but we want to know who you are. Yeah. We want to figure out who you are. And we can't do that with, without trying a couple different ways. So, right. you know, if you're really freaked out at the beginning of an audition or super tight, we may talk to you to see if you can manage to relax a little bit with us or if that human interaction helps. If it doesn't help, then we will like probably talk to you afterwards or try to say something just to, to see what that, that element is. Um, but it's, being able to have some kind of connection with the people in the in the room is so important for us too. I mean, like we we want to work with people that we enjoy and we want to give opportunities to people that we think have potential. So, um, and yeah. we can't we can't like it's so hard to assess that in ten minutes. So yeah. anything that you can do to help us know a little bit of, more about who you are and what's important to you um, is always going to be helpful for both of us. And, and sometimes we like to laugh that? too. Right, right. You want to have a good time at your job. You do, I do. How are you dealing with that when it comes to the Zoom and YouTube, the live audition, the virtual auditions? Because that's, yeah. I feel like that's the the weird part we're in right now. It's like, how do we, as as performers, the auditioners, um, how do you deal with that when it, if they want to get to know you or you want to get to know them, but you're in this virtual setting? Yeah. That's really hard. And I think that's been one of the things that has been like the great thing about Zoom is that you can do it from everywhere or anywhere. But the hard thing is that we are missing that personal, that real personal connection. Like you and I can talk like this because we know each other in real life. We've actually stood next to each other and had conversations. It's much harder when you're just meeting people in the digital uh, sphere. And then to be vulnerable in this digital sphere can sometimes be even harder, even though we're just in our homes or, you know, in our, in our personal spaces. Um, I'm not sure that I have a great answer for it because I think most of the auditions that I have interacted with, um, not all of them for sure, but most of them have been submit a video. They don't happen in real time, except for sometimes a feedback portion of it. Um, and I think the, um, like the feedback is always, a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because I want to get to know the singer, but what they're asking for is what could I have done better to place better? So it's that they're coming at it from a place of lack mm-hmm. um, where I'd love for that first conversation to be something where we are just getting on common ground where I get yeah. to know a little bit. So I don't know that I've, I don't know that it's really satisfying um, in a, in a significant way, my answer or the, the, 
convention, to be honest. <laughs> because this is something new that that singers are dealing with being home producers now, which has largely been left out of the education as well as everything else being just new to gear and that kind of stuff. Do you have any other bits of wisdom when it comes to doing virtual auditions for the singers? What you recommend and yeah. Um you know, first of all, I commend everybody who has pivoted to like putting their whole life online because it's not it's not easy. And because there are there are so many different aesthetics, right? Like mm -hmm. I might produce a video for um like I'll put my dog on TikTok because my dog is adorable and TikTok deserves to see him. But the way that I film my dog for TikTok is very different than what I would film for an audition as mm -hmm. far as um, sound quality and as far as composition, right? As far yeah. as formality. I think there is still a little bit of, it's not even formality, but there is um, the conventions for Kind of classical music recording like that audio piece really needs to be great and if you're going to spend time to figure out that i would i would say that the the time that you spend figuring out the best way to record yourself and your voice in your space is worth that time mm -hmm. um whether it's uh singing in with a recording in a closet full of your clothes when i do the radio show um center stage from wolf trap i always record in my closet my husband's like what are you doing and I'm like just hanging out talking to some friends in my closet in my closet um <laughs> but there's you know because of the way that we sing and because of the volume that's needed and because of the the kind of overtones that we need to produce there is a lot for our these voice spoken only instruments to kind of deal with so making sure that you've got your gain set so that you're not going to max out those speakers so that we can really hear the beauty of that top when you hit it at that um at that loud frequency um it's easier for you to turn up the volume in a smaller set in a quieter section yes than for it to clip and peak and fuzz out on right. a highly resonant section Right. I am super happy to play around with my with my volume dial. What I can't do is take that noise and that shattery sound from uh, from something that's been overblown on the top. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, we. As far as visuals go, I'm pretty there are lots of things that I've seen that work as far as, you know, the actual video footage. I would the only caution I might give is to be able to. Um, give yourself a little distance from the camera yes. because I feel sometimes like when you're singing right to your camera, like, like, again, like I would for my TikTok video, right. Um, when you're that close to it, um, it changes the way you sing because the audience is so close. Mm -hmm. And it also, um, it doesn't give us enough kind of room to process the full sound. It feels a little like, like we're being sung to from our laps. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, it's not necessarily that I need to see like every in every bit of your apartment, but I do think that you'll sing better if the mechanism to which you're singing feels like an audience member feels removed at least a little bit so that you can feel free to use your full instrument to, to capture yeah. what you're wanting to, instead of feeling like I'm singing to my grandma, Nellie, who is sitting in the front row and, yeah. and she's a little deaf. So I'm just going to make sure she really hears it. Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's so it's so hard to kind of know. And again, like this is my perspective and I am just one person. So there yeah. could be somebody out there that has given you the exact opposite advice for a singer, which is maddening that there is no kind of, you know, standard. But I will say, like, as if you look at the 
the Met guidelines for their auditions and the way they put things together. That's a great starting point. Opera mm-hmm. America has a great resource as far as kind of ways to feng shui your audition, your virtual audition to make sure that you get the best product. Um, for me, because I'm all, it's easier for me to listen additively than reductively. I prefer a slightly drier acoustic. Um, so I love it if you sing in your closet, like that, that brings me joy because I can yeah. imagine what that voice might sound like in my space. Cause I know what my space does to certain voices and certain partials. Um, whereas if you sing to me in a church where it is really live, I have to try to get through all of that acoustic to actually see, hear what the voice sounds like itself. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more of a guessing game, I yeah. think, to be able to to do that. So, I always... so far, everything you've said, I have, I agree from a even from a technical standpoint, producer standpoint, agree one hundred percent with. In fact, I literally had this conversation with a singer last night. Um, he was asking me the the dry versus wet recording. Um, he's like, "How much space do I need in there? Would you rather like you personally? Would you rather hear uh, a, a a dry instrument, or do you want a lot of reverb?" And I'm like a lot hides in reverb especially because i know he does his recordings in the church and i was like a lot hides in reverb i would rather have a dry recording and i can then guess what that's going to act like in a big space but it tells me a lot um it doesn't mean you have to be like right up on the microphone (laughs) i'll second that emotion (laughs) but just you know no understand the 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 mic you're dealing with and the space that you're in and you know it's funny do you did you ever watch scrubs yes i love that show (laughs) i don't know if you've listened to their podcast but um zach braff and donald Faison have a scrubs podcast that oh my God, they no, started but i am re i'm re-watching the series as we speak like if I you're re-watching like, the series yes. find their podcast um i can't remember what the name of it's called but you can find it um okay. it's pretty easy to find they started it in i want to say april last year mm-hmm. and they record from their closets because everybody was on lockdown and so like if they would talk consistently about it because they're one of those podcasts where they just like hit record and just start talking because they're friends <laughs> and everything like they're he's like yeah uh don's like yeah so you know the kid's been kind of crazy and stuff but um i figured it's just it's just gonna go in my closet and i'm gonna shut the door <laughs> and i'm gonna oh. do everything from in here oh my gosh i have it I have, sounds great yeah <laughs> it's funny too like when you talk about that acoustic too there have been a couple folks that i've heard um in some auditions that uh and this actually happened in real life we were at the fine arts building in chicago one year for auditions which is a beautiful room overlooking lake michigan and it's like listening to people in a bathtub it is just oh. like so because it's all hard surfaces um and I remember the the audition monitor that particular year was an alum of the company. And we were like, we heard the first singer and we're like, we're going to ask you to come back to sing your second aria. And then we had the monitor come in and we're like, we just need you to sing in this space because we actually can't tell what's happening acoustically Yikes. because there was so much reverb. And, you know, I think the singers all really enjoy singing in that room. But they like oh, yeah. when we went back to listen to the to the audio from that day, just to be like, was it as bad as we thought or were we just tired? Um, they couldn't match pitch because they couldn't, they were picking the wrong partials from the room to like tune to. And all of a sudden, like the tuning was all wonky and they'd get into an acapella section and be like way off. Yeah. And you can see like when the, when the piano came in and they were like, oh my God, you know, because there was just too much to, to balance in yeah. that acoustic. Um, 
and there's something to be said to even with the with the virtual recordings just making sure that the room isn't so live that you lose that that pitch center because if there's yeah. enough if there's enough of that coming back at you especially in an audition se setting when the the stakes are a little higher and you're really kind of focused in a different way on the sound you're making rather than the sound that's coming at you you can pick the wrong thing and end up just just off enough and if you know if intonation is one of those like non-negotiable compulsories like that's the wrong thing to do because yeah. that that puts you out of the running before you've even started and finding the mic placement in a really live room is mm, is tricky. ridiculous because yeah. i mean i've i've done live recordings in every space you could possibly imagine from outdoor to cathedral to underground to like everything and i remember doing um a concert that it was a it was an opera concert but there was a, a symphony underneath them and they were doing it in a cathedral and i was like i can't record from back in the house and i can't mic them directly because of the way the room was set up so i had to i spent time wandering around with the headphones on to find the sweet spot that i could put that mic so i got the natural sound but then also got a little bit of the space because mm -hmm. i timed it and the decay in that room was 4.7 seconds oh my god <laughs> I mean, like I, I've I've been in spaces like I literally couldn't sing in because the decay was that bad. And I'm like, I can't record in here, and so I ended up finding out the mic placement for that was literally directly over top of the conductor, twelve feet high, oh. and like that was the sweet spot. Oh. But it was it it did not play against any of my intuition when it came to miking that room. And oh, so when when people who don't understand microphones who are self-producing for the first time mm -hmm. throw themselves into a really live space because they feel like they're comfortable in it, mm -hmm. trying to find that mics that the ideal mic placement can also work against you in that setting. All the more reason to go air on the dry side. Mm -hmm. um, Miking yeah, in a dry I, space is a lot easier to, to deal with, so much easier to deal with. It is. And I know it's not like nobody, for the record, nobody likes to sing in a dry room. I mm -hmm. totally get it. Like having exactly. at least something come back to you, like I 100% get it. And for, so as a singer, you've got to figure out both the pleasure of your experience and what is going to showcase you in the best light and kind of do that dance to kind of whatever whatever makes you feel the most confident again, yeah. right? To like this, I like this room and I think it's dry enough. Great. That's, it probably is. It, it probably, probably is. is. If it's, yeah. if it's the, if it's the fine arts building in Chicago on, on Lake Michigan, I would, uh, it's a beautiful room and you should visit. It's got a beautiful elevator. It's, it's really lovely, but I would not record your auditions there. You can have rehearsal there. I don't care, but you know, you I would not do your auditions there. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much for spending the time to chat with us today on the Opera Biz podcast. It's been awesome. It was a delight. Likewise, completely. Um, and best of luck also with all the auditions you got going on right now. I know you're right in the middle of the thick of it. So um, toy, toy, toy with that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great fun. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz podcast, hosted and produced by Daniel Welch. Find out more about our guests at operabiz.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at operabiz.